Fear is a state of mind that I'm sure most of us are familiar with that during the course of our lives, we can encounter fear in many different ways. In itself, it's usually a very unpleasant state, a time when anxiety might be strong, where there's strong um, agitation, where, you know, there's an anticipation or awareness of danger. We experience it in a wide range of experiences, from complete terror that is often overwhelming and intense. Uh, Sometimes we might have moments of panic when there's a sudden change, or the feeling as if the ground is pulled out from beneath our feet, and we respond with panic. Sometimes there's a mixture of fear and aversion, where there's a, um, something we encounter has a repulsive feel to it. And through fear, we withdraw from it. We want to flee. Sometimes there's just a sense of dread. We might have to do something that we don't really want to do in some way we'd love to avoid. And we feel quite powerless in that we need to do this. Sometimes it's just a very subtle feeling of uneasiness, agitation. As we're sitting here, it might be the sense that we can't quite settle into the moment, that um, there's just this agitation where we feel like we're just on the surface of experience. Many times when fear is present, that there's a sense as if we're hiding from life. We, it's, fear has this um, way of kind of cutting us off, uh, bringing about a feeling of being disconnected. And throughout the course of our lives, what we tend to do when fear is present is, one, we don't even see it. You know, it can be this agitated energy, this fear that's underlying the very things we do in life, but we keep moving so we don't touch it. We, you know, keep the mind in turmoil. We keep lost in our stories, not even wanting to touch into this state of fear. I know in my own life, fear has played a very big part. When I look back, to the very first memories I had as a child. They were around fearful situations. The first memory that I do remember is being a very young child. And when I think back to how young I must have been, I'm kind of amazed that my mother asked me to do this. But she did. We didn't live so far from a little corner grocery store. And I just had to cross one street, of which she told me, you know, later that she had escorted me across the street. And then I just had to walk up the corner of that street and turn the corner. And not too far along, there was a store. And she sent me to get something. And I went to the store, and I got to the gate. When I looked down the gate at the store, there was a man on a ladder beside the door. For whatever reason, that set off terror in me. 
And all I could do was stand there and look. And there was, you know, a number of different people that walked into the store. They seemed to do it, you know, with great ease. It was not a problem. But I couldn't move. And I stood there, and I stood there, till finally my mother became very fearful herself what had happened to her daughter. And she came to find me. And there I stood by the gate, unable to move. And, you know, there was, it was probably hard for her to have any comprehension of what was going on. But when I look back at that memory, I see what the power of fear can do to one's life. You know, where one has this sense one can't move, is stop. And many times it's not rational. Actually, only just recently, I was speaking to someone who doesn't have a meditation practice. And they were in a situation very similar to this, where they were encountering something and the mind was telling them, you know, as a child I cannot remember what my mind was saying was so horrible about what I was seeing. But they were creating a whole story around something that when I heard it, I could see it was very irrational. But they were latching onto this story as if it were true. They totally believed it. And again, it was causing them to collapse, to you know, become very fearful and anxious. It's a very powerful state. And it underlies so much of what we do in our lives. So many times it's unrecognized, not seen. And for that reason, when we actually uncover it, when we begin to see it show its face, it is a great gift. Because this can allow us to become intimate. It can allow us to know this mind state, to touch into it, to feel it, to see it, sense it, to see what feeds it. And out of this, real understanding can come. If we don't do this, we find that we run from life. We can never be fully present because of this anxiety. And it could happen that we don't face this fear until we have no choice on our deathbed. But we can be grateful in our lives because we know of a practice that can really help us to learn to face our deepest fears. Through the power of mindfulness, learning to bear witness, learning to see into this state of fear,
I came across this quote by a woman named Dorothy Thompson. She was an American journalist. And she said, Fear grows in darkness. If you think there's a boogeyman around, then turn on the light. And this is what our practice does. It turns on the light, brings it into consciousness. It's so much more workable when it's recognized. And to know this, just think of the many mind states you may have not wanted to face, wanted to push away. And then one day the conditions came together where it was enough. You went, okay, what is this? You know, maybe it's aversion and you just can't get near it. And then suddenly it's like, all right, I'll be with this. And you do, and it's no big deal. And this can happen with fear. When we pay attention to, we begin to see our strategies, our patterns for coping or trying to stay away from the fear. You know, we can really pattern the way we live our life that we don't put ourselves in the face of danger. We live in a very safe way, um, not touching the edges, you know, not really pushing ourselves in any way, staying, trying to stay within the confines of the known. But that really takes a lot of energy. That in itself is exhausting. And we begin to see this as we practice. I remember when I first um, started doing meditation practice, I really had the sense as if I'd painted myself into a corner. You know, there was some way of life that I was trying to uphold that was based on pleasant experience. You know, I actually, I worked in the outdoors, so, and that was where I loved to be. I built a cabin, that was what I loved. You know, I did things I really loved to do. But then suddenly I saw that it was really a way of painting myself into a corner. And in order to uphold that, You know, not to face that which challenged me was exhausting. It was not sustainable. And so, you know, one aspect of working with fear is just to notice how we maneuver around it so we don't experience it. I've seen it on a retreat where, you know, maybe there's somebody whom for whatever reason in their presence fear arises just avoiding not not being near not being willing to look and see what's there what's agitated what what feels threatened not willing to look into the state sometimes at night i found that you know I, Sitting in this hall, I don't know if you've had the experience. You know, late at night, you might be the only person here. I found that, no, if I was tired, I didn't want to face the fear, so better to go to bed. Know that many times we just turn away. And sometimes it could be skillful means. It could be that in that 
moment the mindfulness isn't strong enough to meet the fear. But many times it's just through a pattern of avoidance, not wanting to touch into this state. I'd like to share what's a very inspiring story for me. It comes out of the Thai forest forest tradition. It's about a, a monk named Ajahn Pan. He lived in the early 1900s. At one point, he was traveling with a group of monks, and it was evening, and they needed to set up their umbrella tents for the night. They were in an area that had tall grass and thick bushes. There was also many buffalo, big snakes, wild crocodiles, and elephants. These elephants were known to charge and kill people. In fact, the villagers told them that recently that there had been monks that were trampled and killed by these elephants. But when they heard this, they had already set up their tent. And part of the rules that they lived by is once their umbrella tent was set up, they needed to stay there until dawn. So Ajahn Pan reiterated this to the monks and said that this was the case because they must be willing to die for the Dhamma. And he instructed them to do Brahma-vihara practice. So then about 10 o'clock that evening, the elephants came. They were led by a big bull. Ajahn Pan's tent was the first tent that the elephants came to. The big bull elephant actually stood almost right over Ajahn Pan in his little umbrella tent. He stopped, he paused, and then walked on. The other elephants walked behind him single file. But the last elephant was mischievous. The villagers called him Twist because he had one twisted tusk. As he passed by the Ajahn's tent, he walked on and then he turned back as if to charge. Ajahn Pan's mind was unperturbed. Later he said, with the aspiration to awakened understanding, my mind was equanimous. If I were to die in this mind state, I would go straight to Tushita heaven and be watching the elephant from there. And then Ajahn Pan said he directed his mind to know the minds of his disciples. He looked into the minds of his four companions and he saw that they all aspired toward awakened understanding. And he felt relieved that his fellow monks all had the same intention. And the story goes on that the big bull elephant managed to stop the other elephant from charging. And then the bull elephant walked up to the Ajahn's tent, kneeled down, and lifted up his trunk as if paying respect. The Ajahn was reported to have said, the bull must have been a bodhisattva.
When I heard this story, <clears throat> excuse me. I was very touched by the nobility of heart, the faith and the trust that these monks had in their aspiration, that they had, that this had allowed them to face danger and not to flinch, not to become caught in fear. They trusted in the Dhamma, they trusted in the lawfulness of life. And it wasn't that they were trusting that this meant that they wouldn't die. It was trusting that no matter what happened, the Dhamma would protect them. In this story, nowhere does it imply that these monks were fully enlightened. This, to me, also was very inspiring because, you know, sometimes there's a great realization that there's not full enlightenment, and yet it is still possible that we can protect the mind when faced with danger. That there is great benefit to this protected mind. Now there's many stories of the Buddha and how he had no fear. Now at one point, Devadatta his cousin attempted to kill the Buddha, and he had hired archers to shoot the Buddha. The first archer, upon seeing the Buddha, was so struck by his nobility that he could not kill him and became a disciple. Another time there was a mad uh, elephant that charged at the Buddha. But the Buddha's mind was filled with loving-kindness, and no harm came to him. Something unshakable can be touched into is the potential of our hearts and minds. But it is a journey from fear to fearlessness. We cannot think I should not be fearful, as this will just cause more pain, more suffering. One time I was at the, uh, I forget what it's called, the Rose Garden in New York City. Uh, It's a natural history museum, and there was a space show in in this museum. Uh, A wonderful um, movie was shown. I, I don't know if many of you have, have been, I don't even know if it's still playing. It was years ago. 
but it was quite wonderful. It was it took you on a journey through space, and it was very realistic in some way. You know, I had the senses of just going out into the universe, and the way it was all designed, it was. You know, it happened in, in many different ways. One of the things was at one point the th whole theater was shaking this vibration. You, know, you could just feel as if you were being propelled through space. And there was this small child in there. And she became terrified. And she was screaming and screaming. And her parents were saying to her, You are not afraid. You are not afraid. Wow, what happens when you're fearful and someone says, You are not afraid? Oh. It's painful. And so, if we're going to take this journey from fear to fearlessness, we have to begin where we are. We have to learn how to recognize fear, know of its qualities, know its traits, know the different ways we might experience fear. You know, there's many, many different ways fear can be experienced. Many different things that will uh, bring fear forward. We might have fear of the future, fear of events of the, in the future, projections into the future. You know, and just the sense that we don't know what's going to happen. And so we start planning, trying to make ourselves secure. You know, how many of us have done this sitting here? You know, some idea of an event in the future comes, and we rehearse it, we plan it. could just be our interview. And we plan it over and over and over again. And you know, it's a, a sense of trying to make ourselves feel more secure. You know, like I said, there can be fear of events. You know, it could be places in the forest refuge that you're fearful of. You know, whether it's to be out in the woods, fearful of ticks, fearful of snakes, although the snakes around here are not harmful, <laughs> um, but fearful of bears. There is occasional bears, uh, not very often seen. But, you know, there's just any number of events that we can be fearful of. You know, and in our lives, we live in a time when there's a lot of violence. And through that, there can be things that we do that we really start to develop strong fear around. Many of us may have a fear of failure. That, you know, we just aren't good enough. We don't do something because we're afraid of failure. This was something else I saw in my youth, that you know, there was things I would not do because I was afraid to find out that I might not be able to do them. And so rather than face that fear, simply not doing. Fear of rejection. I found this in generosity. There would be many times I would want to give something to somebody, but the fear of rejection would keep me from doing it. What if they didn't accept my gift? You know, and sometimes not giving the love in our hearts. What if it's not accepted? Fear of that rejection. You know, in my life I noticed a time where in my relationships, not being fully present, not being really there, 
Because what if I was rejected? It seemed too much to bear. Fear of body pain. I know in my own practice, uh, at one point, you know, just, I would just sit as long as there was comfort. And, you know, I had a body at that time, I was more youthful. Um, It could sit for a while before that happened. And I stayed within the comfort zone. I didn't, you know, didn't want to face the fear of pain. Sometimes when we get sick, we really see the fear of body pain. That that the body can be in great states of disease, and it can bring up a lot of fear. What if it's going to be this way for the rest of my life? And sometimes we face chronic pain and can get caught in states of fear around that. In our practice, we may notice that we have fear of mind states. That, you know, if we're prone to strong states of judgment, uh, guilt, where we've really caused harm to ourselves, that we can become fearful of these states not wanting them to arise, trying to avoid, causes us to feel fragmented and insecure. We can find that we even have fear of fear itself. I noticed this one time, or had it pointed out to me one time, I should say. Um, I was practicing with Sayada Upandita and uh, facing strong states of fear. And had been, as is done when you practice with him, noting these states of fear as they arose. Noting fear, fear. And yet the fear was really intensifying, getting stronger. And when I reported it to him, He said, could it be that you're noting fear with fearing mind? And it was true. You know, it was as if there was this wild lion in the room roaring at me. And I was just waving this little feather going, fear, fear, fear. And it wasn't very helpful. We can find that as we practice, as we encounter impermanence, the truth of it, that there can come a great vulnerability. We really see there's nothing we can hang on to. Everything is impermanent. And until wisdom is fully matured, that can be scary. And so it's you know almost a, it's a natural thing that happens in practice as we come close to it, as we're not using our usual strategies of protection, that fear arises. Another common fear that arises in practice is that of annihilation. 
there's this sense that, you know, that this I, me, mine that has been so strong, as we see it loosening, the grip of that loosening, there comes the fear, if we let go completely, this will be annihilation. We might fail to recognize that this is just a concept in the mind. And it's not the truth of the way things are. It's not reflective of the way things are. I'd like to share a teaching from the ninth century Zen master Han Po. He says, people are afraid to forget their minds, fearing to fall through the void with nothing to stay their fall. They do not know that the void is not really void, but the realm of the Dhamma. No, it's simply because we do not see things as they are that we carry these concepts, and often hidden concepts, that keep us caught in fear. Another very, very common fear, and one that we don't often recognize, is the fear of death. That one day, this life, as we know it, will cease to be. It's a fear that when we don't face in our lives, will keep us from being fully alive. I'd like to share something from Rodney Smith, who's one of the teachers that frequents IMS and also uh, lives and teaches over in Seattle. He was a hospice worker and worked a lot with people who were dying. He said, Our aversion to death is conditioned by all the little ways we avoid disagreeable situations throughout our life. It is as if a lifetime as escaping from the unpleasant is squeezed to the surface when we face our mortality. The principal reason we we escape from situations is because we are afraid to meet the unknown. We are uncertain how the situation will turn out. So we flee in a known and safe direction. But when we are dying, we cannot change our course to make the process safer. This time there is no turning away from the unknown. Death causes an enormous confrontation with our fear of the unknown. As we go through the dying process, we project memories of other fearful situations in our life onto death. Death becomes the target for a lifetime of accumulated fears. The Buddha taught 
that reflecting upon one's own death can be valuable, can help us In doing so, we will have to face the fear. There's times in our life where death touches us in some way. Death of a loved one, or sometime when our own health may be threatened. Nobody needs to tell us these are poignant moments. And this is where we can let the intimacy come in, touch what's there, allow ourselves to feel this, not to try and push it away, You know, so many times in life we see people whose lives are touched in some way by death. And the sense that we need to soldier on, we need to hold it together. But through our practice, letting this melt, soften, finding intimacy, allowing things to be as they are, not needing to be run by the fear. Finding that which is fearless. In the journey from fear to fearlessness, what we find is that when fear arises, we are simply not stopped by it. Aung San Suu Kyi, probably many of you have heard of, she's a Burmese woman who was once elected to democratically run the country, but then has since been under house arrest by the military regime, living under house arrest for many, many years. And to me, she's a woman who has not been stopped by fear. And this is something she said, fearlessness may be a gift, but perhaps more precious is the courage acquired through endeavor. Courage that comes from cultivating the habit of refusing to let one's own fear dictate one's actions. Courage that can only be described as grace under pressure. I also read recently um, in Pema Chodron's book, When Things Fall Apart, something that her husband said when she was just newly married. He described her as being one of the bravest people that he knew. And so she asked him why he said that. And he said that was, she was a complete coward, but she went ahead and did everything. And she, did, did, she went ahead and did things anyways. So if you're a coward, it's okay. 
Can we just not be stopped by it? And what that looks like is always going to be different. Sometimes when we're working with fear, there's a lot of energy, strength, and boom, we look straight into that face of fear. And boom, see it for what it is. And then sometimes all we can do is recognize it out of the corner of our eyes. Now, it can be a long process of getting intimate with the fear. And so it's wherever we are in the process, letting it be okay. You know, sometimes, like I said earlier, even that you can recognize that fear is there. This is good news. Just that recognition. And then in the times when the energy is strong, hanging out with it, getting to know it. And we do this in the same way we work with all states. Recognition, acceptance. You know, noticing if there's a reaction in the mind to the fear being there, aversion, wanting to get rid of it. Can we just allow this to be as it is? And maybe it's just for a moment, for one moment, opening to fear. If it's too much, take a breath. And then the fear's there, touch it again. Bringing the quality of interest, investigation, seeing how thoughts feed the fear, accelerate the fear, seeing the power of mindfulness when we just know it, seeing fear in its arising, seeing fear as it passes away. learning the patterns of fear. And through this, seeing into the nature of fear and knowing it as it is, knowing it through non-identification, that this is just fear arising out of conditions It has its own nature. And when we see its nature, we rob it of its power. It's like any other experience. Recognition is key. It's a way of just bringing it into consciousness. Acceptance. Allowing. Without feeding. This is key. No, it's not like you want to traumatize yourself. There's fear and you get totally caught in it. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. That's not acceptance. 
Acceptance is when there is the power of mindfulness that can see it as it is, without feeding, simply knows. This is what allows the intimacy. Interest, investigation, taking an interest in it. You know, so many times in our life, we aren't interested in it. But that interest, hmm, look, see, it's an opportunity. This is what's here. This is our teacher right now. And leading to non-identification, seeing it in its nature. There may be times when the fear is so strong that we need to look, work with finding balance, you know, where it's overwhelming. And there's you know, different things one can do, and you know, sometimes something helps bring balance, and another time it isn't useful at all. What I found the most important thing is when the recognition was there that something was overwhelming, that sense to listen, where one can turn the mind, where there is a sense of refuge. You know, some, one of my experiences was there was a lot of terror, and you know, so I tried to turn towards the breath. But the terror was reflected in the breath. And it, it intensified the terror because the breath was so shaky. And so uh, I found it more helpful to go to touch points. You know, that to let the mind rest in the ease of connecting with the touch points. Or many times I found hearing to be very valuable really letting the mind be open, spacious, just receptive. You know, that sense of receptivity can help bring that relaxation and balance back in. Because with the fear, you know, there's a tendency to dissociate, to move away. And what we want to do is find what helps the relaxation so that we can open to uh, whatever it is that there's fear about. Sometimes walking can be very helpful when fear is strong. And just focusing on the connection with the earth, the soul's touching the feet, grounding. And that's another important aspect because, of, you know, again, fear dissociating, finding what helps the grounding. And, you know, in sitting, if I've been sitting and fear is strong, sometimes, you know, it's like maybe projected into the future, sitting with the eyes open, it's bringing contact into the present moment, putting the hand down, feeling the coldness, feeling a tactile sensation, a grounding. This is what we're looking for when it's been overwhelming. Sometimes metta, Doing metta, saying the metta phrases. And, you know, when fear is strong, you, concentration can bring a temporary refuge. So it's temporarily bringing the mind back into balance. 
uh, giving some protection. And so saying the metta phrases and saying them very quickly so that you know, it's just a continual stream, helps the mind to focus, helps the mind to focus on something that also in itself can bring calmness, can bring a sense of ease. Um, I've also found that helpful. Sometimes just remembering this too is an impermanent state, like every other state. And, you know, this isn't where we're knowing impermanence, you know, sudden dramatically, but it's a reminder of the way things are that helps the mind to be more at ease to see the truth of this. Sometimes it's helpful to remember stories such as the one I told about Ajahn Pan and how those who practice the Dhamma are protected. Not by means of a pleasant outcome, but that we become protected from the torments of mind. I also, at one point, found it really helpful. You know, I certainly have been through strong states of fear in my own practice. And to call upon all of the enlightened beings, or to call upon the wholesome force of life to surround and protect me, One time, when the fear was so strong, I had this sense of enlightened beings. Another way to say it would be enlightened presence. But what I experienced was, you know, just this strong fear, and it was like walking down a dark hallway, having to take every step myself, and as if I was groping along that hallway, but having the sense that everywhere my hand was placed was guided. And this comes when we touch into our innate wisdom. And we really listen when the fear is there. Because we have this knowing within us. We have these inner guides within us. You know, we can personify them, if that's helpful, or it's just innate wisdom coming forth, helping us to really be able to touch into what seems like an obstacle. I'd actually like to mention something. Let's see if I can find it here. This is what happens when you don't follow your notes. (laughs) 
that there are two types of fear. There is a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. A healthy, healthy fear is actually said to be the guardian of the universe and that there's two types of healthy fears. One is called hiri in Pali, which is moral shame or conscientiousness. And this moral shame or conscientiousness rises out of respect and care for ourselves. Another type of healthy fear is that of otapa. It's the fear of wrongdoing. It arises out of respect and care for others. And it brings a heedfulness. An example of a healthy fear is that maybe we're a smoker and we become aware of the danger of smoking. And then there's a responsiveness that wants to quit smoking. It guards us from harm. In our practice, what we might see happening is that we become aware of what happens when we're not mindful. And almost a sense of becoming fearful of mindlessness. And it propels us to be mindful. I found it very interesting to hear that these, this healthy fear is actually in Buddhist teachings considered to be a guardian of the universe. It keeps us fall, from falling into uh, a deterioration of moral standards and really helps us to live life in a way that there is heedfulness, that there is care, there is respect. But with unhealthy fear, this is where the fear is based upon attachment, where we might try to guard ourselves from ever encountering the loss of loved ones, from encountering aging, death, where we're trying so desperately hard to hang on to our material possessions. And, you know, this is tiring, um, not helpful. And mostly tonight, what I've been speaking about is the unhealthy form of fear. healthy fear is so long as we keep moving through the cycles of samsara, these endless cycles of rebirth, we will never be safe. We may have the best of circumstances and great feelings of security, but things will change. And so knowing this propels us to take this journey from fear to fearlessness to find in our lives that which is of true refuge. In closing tonight, I'd like to share a teaching from a Thai force master, Ajahn Mahaboa. And this comes from a talk that he gave to a woman who was dying of cancer. 
and she had come to the monastery to meditate while she was dying. And so this is what he said to her. Even at the moment when you're about to die, the heart won't be shaken by pain and death because it is sure that the mind is the mind, a stronghold of awareness. The mind thus doesn't fear death because it is sure of itself, that it won't get destroyed anywhere. Discernment will spread its power far and wide. The heart will be more and more radiant, more and more courageous, because discernment is what cleanses it. Even if death comes at that moment, there is no problem. The pain will disappear, but the mind won't disappear. It will return to its mindness. If you use mindfulness and discernment, discernment, wise attention, wisdom, to investigate pain without retreating to the point where you understand it, then even when you are about to die, you will know that the pain will disappear first. The mind won't disappear. The mind will withdraw itself from all that and revert to its mindness. Our practice helping us to be intimate with fear so that we can know the mind that is fearless. So let's just sit for a moment.
May all beings come to know the mind that is fearless. So closing with the chanting of the sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.